Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. <laughs> His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. Another late night edition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. My name is Aaron Berlin. I'm joined alongside by my host, my co-host. His name is Otto Strong. Otto, we're going to talk some basketball, specifically Lakers, Nuggets, Game 3, how good it was. We're also going to talk some Heat Celtics with uh, Ethan Skolnick, who's been on this program before. But before we get to all that, Let's go ahead and talk about this Nuggets performance and really, I mean, call it for what it was. It was a night where they had to play desperate. They had to be locked in. They had to basically assert themselves in this contest, and they did it from the opening tip, man. They did. I mean, they were, they were the alphas for three quarters, and then things got a little crazy. It, it was like the Lakers became the nuggets of, of the previous rounds where there would be a furious comeback, and the next thing you knew, it was like a, a two- or three-possession game. And, uh, and that's what we saw. Like, I mean, Ronda was flying around. It looked like he had uh, – I mean, I know it wasn't a dozen, a dozen steals within, within a few minutes, but it looked like he was everywhere. And they just could not, they couldn't stop him. And I was, I turned to my wife at one point and said, okay, here we go, 3-0. But, uh, this game had so many twists and turns and so many different runs. Where, you know, and, and I'm big enough to admit this, and I'm going to take an L on my side, Otto. And you called me out on this in our group chat. You know, What was it? It was near the end of the third quarter, early fourth quarter. Nuggets had a 20-point lead, and it just looked like the Lakers were frazzled, man. Like, like They couldn't bring the ball up the court. They couldn't get into their offense. I mean, the Nuggets were swarming defensively. And I, I text you guys. I text you, our producer, Scott Turkin, and our um, – our chief content officer, Bruce Bernstein, I said, this game, there's, there's nothing left in the tank for the Lakers. And then all they do is they go on that big run. They close it to within four. But ultimately, Otto, it seemed like the runs caught up to this Laker team and playing from behind the way it caught up to this Laker team in the end. Well, playing from behind, also I felt like they were forcing a lot of action late. Yeah. And they, all they need to do is play within themselves, bring the ball up court, um, you know, not that it had to necessarily be a set, but some of these passes, I mean, look, it's one thing when you got an eight-point lead and it's kind of in the first half and everyone's still fresh. It's another thing, I think, mentally when you're down as much, as far back as they were, have it be kind of, you know, toward the end of the game and then trying to do these. Like, I think LeBron had one where he was almost like he was skipping a stone across a pond. It looked like he was <laughs> trying to – I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the pass would have been amazing, and he probably does it. You know, that's probably a 50-50 shot for him. 
But it, it, late, I think they got a little sloppy. There was a, a Kuzma pass along the baseline that kind of sailed out. There were a number of, uh, you know, and also there were some missed threes that, that they probably were a little bit more consistent in that department. I mean, the thing, if you're Denver, that's really scary is that you had, you were up by 20, yeah. basically heading into the fourth, and you couldn't really, I mean, I think it was more of a case of the Lakers losing down the stretch than necessarily, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Malmer had some tremendous uh, threes to kind of close it out, and Jeremy Grant was huge, you know, throughout the game. But it, you got to be a little scared if you're if you're Denver. Yeah, you, you felt like for Denver, you led by as many as 18 in the first half, led by 10 at the break, stretched it to 20, and then it seemed like the Lakers just put together really three or four good minutes there in the fourth quarter, closed it to within four, and then just couldn't get over the hump the rest of the way. But if we're giving a game ball out for Game Three, does it go to Jeremy Grant? I, I mean, that dude was everywhere, man. Yeah, yeah. No, he definitely was the X factor. I mean, I, I like how uh, other folks have been calling the, you know, the others. <laughs> and uh, he, definitely, he definitely stepped up. I mean, uh, he did not shy, did not wilt uh, when, when the lights got, got bright and when the spotlight got really hot. He, he, he was right there. Um, I mean, I just it felt like we were watching a different guy. I don't know, I don't know what they said you know, in, the, in the off day to kind of – I'm like, hey, we've got to, we got to turn it up. But he, he looked, he looked amazing. Speaking of things said, I, I might be the only one who thinks this, and I, I feel bad because I do know Frank Vogel on a personal level because he was a coach here in Orlando. But is he the most uninspiring coach when your team is down 12 points and they cut to you in the huddle and you're just like, all right, guys, all right, let's just keep at it, let's keep going. Meanwhile, like Michael Malone's over there, like inspiring his guys you know he's talking aggressively he's excitable like that's what i want from a coach in that instance isn't it uh, or is that just me being off base no there? no you're, you're not you're not wrong i mean the guy that i always think of when he, in moments like these and and i you know met him a couple of times i've honor speaking to him several times but doc rivers yeah okay okay let's go okay go. we're gonna take it <laughs> like he, you know because he you could tell he's like left it all on the floor and he's just you know what I mean? Just, just totally all in. And I mean, look, I guess if you're Frank Vogel, you got, you got LeBron, you got AD, you got Rondo, you, you know, you got experience. I mean, obviously AD doesn't have the kind of experience that LeBron and, and Rondo have, but you, you got guys who have been there before. And you know, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a different kind of, a different kind of um, energy, I guess, that you need to, need to bring. No, that, that's, that's a really good point because you're playing with two different dynamics. You're playing with a Denver team that's younger. You have Jamal Murray and Jokic, who's really ascending in the playoffs. And then you have an established Lakers unit who, you know, LeBron is chasing his fourth title. You have Anthony Davis, who's trying to get one. And you have this Lakers team who is such a veteran crew. And so you're absolutely right. Like the tone in those instances for Frank Vogel should probably not be panic, right? Like it should be like, we've been here before. We've done this. We know what we're doing. I just thought it was a little bit funny in that instance of, you know, there's no crowd. The only one you're really listening into is Frank Vogel. And he's just this stoic voice. And you know what? Maybe the Lakers like that. I like a guy who gets in my face a little bit and inspires me a little bit, but someone who I thought was just fantastic. Really two guys who were fantastic all night. Jamal Murray and the Joker, and, you know, some of the things that Jokic did tonight, 
just reiterated everything that we said last week on this podcast, you know, mm-hmm. from his court vision, from the way he passes, from the way he sees his teammates. And most notably, when he steps up in big time situations, this is becoming one of the best one-two punches in this playoffs for sure. But I'm really excited about what we're going to see from these two, not just next year, but in years to come too. Yeah, no doubt. Now, the, I mean, the only the only kind of a caution flag I'd, I'd throw in there is when um, I forget what the what the lead was, but it, as it was whittling down and the Lakers went to his own, he, he looked like uh, he looked like they, he, could, he, they couldn't run that pick and roll. Yeah, yeah, and he he just kind of froze in the moment, or might, not that might be not the best way to put it, but you know, clearly it was not it was it was not, it wasn't wasn't working for him and right through right through there. So. I, that's the only thing that um, that I that I if I'm going to nitpick on anything, and obviously if the Lakers did manage to to close it out, uh, we it would be a very different story. But you know, but all eyes are you know the, the, things are fine in the Mile High City at least for a night because you know we got it to two one. We have a series. You know, we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see how uh, things transpire in a couple of days. Absolutely, it was a fun basketball game all the way around, and you know we were talking about this in our group message. Anthony Davis's performance was fantastic. I, I mean, let, let's, let's look at it real quick. I'm going to run the numbers for you. Mm-hmm. 27 points. He was 9 of 17 from the floor, but I don't think his stat line really says what he did defensively. You know, the rebound numbers aren't there tonight, but the way that he was kind of flying around and how he made Jokic feel uncomfortable and he made his presence felt, this was one of the more impressive performances we've seen from AD in the playoffs. Anthony Davis is, you know, definitely a star like like Jamal and like Jokic. He's a star ascending, uh, which is kind of crazy in a sense to, to think of him that way because he's, you know, already there and he's already the guy. But uh, I mean, this is just a taste of what we might get in, you know, future rounds in the next couple of years. It'd be very exciting to see to see him play. So, so here's my question for you now: If you know. If the Lakers go on and, and win the series and win the finals, as most people kind of predict that they might, we all think that, like in conventional wisdom at least, Ron's the MVP of the finals. Based on what we're seeing right now, would you still have it that way or would you say AD is the MVP of the finals? It's such a tough notion because the first half of that basketball game and really the latter half of the second quarter was such a good case study for what this Lakers team is without LeBron on the court. You know, mm-hmm. there was, there was maybe like a, I think it was a four or five minute stretch in the middle of the second quarter where they were getting Bron a breather. And, you know, the Lakers were trailing. It was fluctuating between like 12 and 14 points. And then all of a sudden Anthony Davis goes on this nine Oh run where he's all over the court. You know, not yeah. only is he hitting step back jumpers, he's deflecting passes defensively. He's getting out in the open lane and he's finishing and it really just epitomized how important he is to this unit. Because you remember this Lakers team last year. And granted, mm-hmm. a lot of the parts have changed from what that Lakers squad was, their previous rendition, to what they are now. But there's no player that complements the way LeBron needs to play when he's off the court like AD can. Like He completely took over that basketball game and controlled both ends of the court. And it's a valid question. And I would say he has been the MVP of this team so far in the playoffs. I mean, they even said it on the telecast, and they don't yeah. say this often when they're referencing LeBron right. ever. Yeah. You know, th- there yeah. were 
there were moments when he was with the Cavs and they would talk about Kyrie and they'd be like, you know, at some point he's going to have to hand the baton off to Kyrie and mm-hmm. he's going to be, you know, the Robin to his Batman. Right. And it almost seemed like they were almost there on tonight's telecast. I mean, at one point they on accidentally called him the best player on this Lakers team. And yeah. that's what LeBron on yeah. I'm like, what has that ever happened in the NBA? And, you know, I, I kind of like sat back for a second. I thought about it and I was like, it's very close to Bron and AD being at the same level. I'm not ready to say that LeBron has kind of passed the torch to AD, but they're definitely getting there and it's coming really quickly. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I, as you say, you know, AD is the type who could you know, hold it down on both ends when LeBron's on the bench and just, and just you know, lock down on D or, or, or be that centering presence and you know, get, get, him, get him the ball and get you, get you to the hoop or get you to the line um, and, or, or open things up for, for the other guys. I mean, he's, he's, he is the total package. And, you know, it'll be – look, we, obviously they got, they got a few games left in this series. I would imagine the Lakers would pull it out. Uh, and then we'll see what, what happens uh, when, when they face uh, whoever's coming up in the East. But it, uh, it's, it's definitely – you know, it's like that, that changing the guard right before our eyes kind of thing. I mean, that's what it feels like yeah. is happening. Um, but you know, only time will tell. Yeah, and I mean, what the other night, AD takes that big shot to close out the game. Of course, and he, I and he's done that a few times now in these playoffs, and it's like th- there's there's something there where you can tell LeBron is comfortable with that notion, mm-hmm. and maybe he's not fully ready for that handoff, but he sees it coming, and he knows it's coming, and he's almost preparing AD for those big moments when he's going to have to be the guy that takes those shots. Yeah, no, I could you could def- you could definitely see it like. Look, what LeBron has given to the game is, you know, beyond, I mean, I think anyone's wildest expectation when he was, you know, coming out all those years ago in Akron. I mean, with the fact that he's still going at the speed that he's going is, is amazing. It's kind of like, like, kind of like Kobe was in a, in a sense after, you know, 14, 15, 16 years and to still be, you know, kind of on the first team. And I mean, it's, it's just, it's phenomenal. But uh, to have that, to have that, for AD to be able to have that guy kind of grooming you and walking you through. Uh, and I think even, even as crazy as this is going to sound, the bubble, I think, when we look back on it, I think when those guys look back on it, it will have become a very galvanizing thing for, the, for that team and, those, and that relationship because there's not a lot of other noise, not a lot of other distractions, you know, kind of forces you into, um, not that they wouldn't have been close, but it kind of forces your hand to, to you know, to, to have that kind of relationship. Absolutely. Before, real quick, before we toss our interview with Ethan, Ethan Skolnick, where we're going to talk a little about the Heat and the Celtics in the Eastern Conference. Denver is a team that's already made some big comebacks in the playoffs. You know, 3-0 would have been really daunting against this Lakers team. They've pushed it back to 2-1. They're sliding in the right direction. Do you feel like this series goes more than six games, or are you still confident that the Lakers can close it out? I'd still say would go six. I mean, uh, like uh, the Lakers going to go back and they're going to they're going to you know, get down on themselves for for a few plays that they that they didn't make, which could have been the difference. Um, you know, some missed threes, some errant passes, some you know, some just wild plays at, at various points. So I think they're going to straighten that stuff out. Uh, and so I, I still see them winning in five or six. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going in six. But all right, let's go ahead and talk some Eastern Conference hoops between the Heat and the Celtics as we welcome in Five Reasons Sports' Ethan Skolnick. 
All right, it is my pleasure to welcome in Ethan Skolnick of Five Reasons Sports. He's covered this Miami Heat team for a long, long time, ever since their Heatles days and into their Eastern Conference Finals days now against the Celtics. Ethan, thanks so much for taking the time and joining us, man. Good to be with you. Now, let's take a look at this Miami and this Boston series. And I think when you look at this, everyone was excited. It was Ainge versus Riley, Stevens versus Spolstra. And then, of course, everything that's gone on the court so far. Just from those optics, when looking at the coaching and like the general manager perspective, how perfect of a matchup was this to occur in this kind of a setting? Well, these are the two best teams or best franchises in the Eastern Conference in the last 15 years. Ever since Danny Ainge took over in 2005, the Celtics have made six conference finals. And during that time, Pat Riley and the Heat have made seven. Uh, no team has made more than the Heat. Uh, Cleveland, I believe, has made six. So these are, the, these are kind of the two creme de, creme de la creme franchises of the East. Obviously, Toronto has emerged. Uh, Philadelphia has kind of uh, proven that the process didn't really work very well. Um, and obviously, Cleveland, Cleveland's success was completely tied to the guy who was born 30 miles away. Um, but these are the two franchises that have the best, quote-unquote, cultures, again, other than Toronto. In Boston's case, you know, it was built largely on the back of a couple of trades. Uh, and, and Danny Ainge learning the lesson of his own Celtics teams that he played on, which was you can't hold on to guys too long. And so he was able to, you know, pawn off Garnett and Pierce towards the end and, and start getting a bevy of draft picks uh, from the Nets. And that's kind of how he built this thing and gave himself enough chances that even though he didn't go all in on some superstars, he still ended up drafting Tatum and picking up a first-round pick, drafting Jalen Brown, drafting Marcus Smart, uh, and then went out and got Hayward in free agency, away from the Heat, by the way. The Heat were second in that sweepstakes. So, and then you look on the other side, in Miami's case, they, they simply do have the best culture in the NBA right now. Uh, I think it was the Spurs and the Heat for a while. But if you look at what Miami has done, they were able to get Jimmy Butler without cap space, basically by trading the 40th overall pick in the draft, Josh Richardson. They were able to develop core rotation players and starters in Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn, and we know Nunn hasn't played particularly well in the bubble, but then they were also able to draft Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo in the middle of the first round. This is kind of, this, it's remarkable um, what these two franchises have done, and so you mentioned the Riley Ainge history, which goes all the way back to when they played, uh, excuse me, when Ainge was playing against Riley's teams that he was coaching, and of course the shut the F up and manage your own team thing that happened in 2013. So there is this long history, and, and these are the two franchises also, franchises also that I think are best positioned going forward in the East. Um, Brooklyn may have something to say about that. Perhaps Toronto does, depending on what they do with their free agents. But these really are uh, the two teams that should be meeting in the Eastern Conference Finals. Is this Heat team the ultimate case study for what a culture can do? I, I mean, you've mentioned it, but you look at what this Heat team was even just a few years ago. It was a team essentially that had no personality. And then you look at what one acquisition does of Jimmy Butler, and then like you mentioned, the pieces that they've put around him. This is the ultimate case study for culture over process, isn't it? It is. They like to say so. I think what it proved was if you have stability in your organization, you have the ability to overcome mistakes. Uh, Pat Riley acted extremely uncharacteristically during the summers of 2016 and 17. I believe a lot of it had to do with the way the big three team broke up, uh, the way that everybody on that team left unhappy all the way up until till Dwayne, but it included everybody else from Mario Chalmers to Mike Miller to Ray Allen, all of them, that they were all unhappy. Chris Anderson, they were all unhappy at the end. And so Pat overcompensated. You know, he wanted to prove that people wanted to stay in Miami. 
So he overpaid Dion Waiters, but not just overpaid, but gave him too many years. So he obviously overpaid his son Whiteside. So he overpaid Tyler Johnson, which was maybe more of a Mickey Harrison decision. So he overpaid James Johnson, giving him four years when nobody else was giving him more than one. He overpaid average players that this organization historically under Riley and particularly under Spolstra has been able to develop. They've developed all the way going back to the Anthony Carters and the Ike Austins and the Bruce Bowens and, and the Mike Jameses and the Malik Allens. I mean, they, they've developed so many players over the years to the Udonis Haslams and the Joel Anthonys. And now, you know, you look at, again, Kendrick Nunn picked up for nothing. Duncan Robinson picked up for nothing. Um, they were able to develop all these guys. They developed Hassan Whiteside and Tyler Johnson, too. The problem was then they paid them. And, and I think the lesson that they've learned now is – we have to keep our cap space clear because we are a destination. And they took themselves out of the room with the way that they behaved in the off seasons of 16 and 17. They could have gotten Durant, but they didn't have the money that surrounded the pieces. They, LaMarcus Aldridge wanted to come on a one-year mid-level contract. He almost bit at that. So players still wanted to come, but the problem was you either didn't have the cap space to get them or you didn't have the cap space to surround them with talent, this team, though, going forward, is perfectly positioned. They have flexibility in 2020. They have flexibility in the most important year, 2021. They have a slew of good young players on controllable contracts. We just had Tyler Hero on our podcast today. I think he's going to be their leading scorer next season. They have uh, – and they have a guy in Jimmy Butler who really isn't a number one from a playing standpoint, but he is, in my view, from a culture-setting standpoint. And he's been terrific since he's come. He, he, has, he is Eric Spolstra's Alonzo Mourning. Riley had Zoe, and Butler has quickly become Spose. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about this Eastern Conference Finals matchup a little bit. Heat raced out to a 2-0 series lead. They did some unconventional things. We saw them play zone in that game, too. Kept it up a little bit in game three. Let's talk about what Miami was able to do those first two games to kind of establish themselves in this series and really just put themselves two games away from an NBA Finals appearance. Well, they did mix the defenses up in that first game. Um, remember, though, they fell behind in both of the first two games. They, they've trailed for three quarters of this series. Boston's outplayed them, and particularly has outplayed them since you know Hayward came back. I, the reason I think the Hayward addition into this series is important, there are two reasons. One, Boston's bench was getting so thin and they were so worn down after the Toronto series that just adding a functional player, Gordon Hayward doesn't have to be Gordon Hayward. He just has to be competent. And that way you don't have to play Marcus Smart 42 minutes. You don't have to play Kemba Walker 42 minutes. Uh, you don't have to overtax Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum because you have this other, you know, multi-dimensional ball handler scorer defender in there. The other option though, the other reason I think it's important is Gordon Hayward kind of busted their zone in game three. They were really struggling getting the ball side to side. And Hayward, by putting him in the middle of the zone, he was able to make, uh, make changes, make, make a change in the way that, that Boston was playing offensively. Now there's, as Andre Iguodala told us, there's the adjustment after the adjustment. I, I think Eric will get away from some of the zone. I think he's been holding some things in his back pocket. I think he may blitz a little bit more. And I also think offensively, the biggest difference you're going to see with the Heat is Jimmy Butler is going to get aggressive in the first quarter because he has taken fewer field goal attempts than Kelly Olynyk in the first quarter. And Kelly Olynyk's playing three minutes and Jimmy's playing 10. That shouldn't be happening. Jimmy needs, he doesn't need to score 40, but he needs to be aggressive offensively. How important is the bench for the Heat moving forward? It can't just be Tyler Hero, can it? 
No, it's huge. And obviously you pull Dragic off the bench and then you put none on the bench. And I don't know that Kendrick's playable right now. He's just, he just doesn't have any rhythm. Uh, so, you know, Derek Jones Jr. is effective for them in short minutes, I, I think, as a defender. But in terms of scoring, you're not really going to get it from DJJ. You're not going to get it from Iguodala. Um, it's got to be Hero. But the other guy, I mentioned him, it's got to be Olenek. Uh, I think Kelly Olenek has favorable matchups. He's missed a ton. He's shooting 25% on uncontested threes. If that gets better, and it can, uh, that adds up an entirely different element. But he's been very up and down all season. So I expect Hero, Hero to be great the rest of the series. There's nothing really that he's shown he can't handle. Uh, but they need to get more out of Kelly Olenek. What has been so impressive about Tyler Hero in, in this rookie season? You don't see a lot of rookies that play the way that he does in his first playoff appearance. What is it that sticks out most to you? Uh, he just has no fear. He has no fear. I mean, he's playing. If you watch his, we talked about this today. If you watch his high school uh, tape, he, he's playing as freely as he did then. He just doesn't feel pressure. I also think it helped, though, his first playoff experience, unlike Dwayne Wade's first as a rookie, there's no road. There's no road. And Tyler struggled a little on the road this year. He's in an antiseptic building. And, and he said today he thinks that's helped him too. So, uh, but he's had no fear the whole year. He's been, he's been tremendous. Um, I, he fans didn't like the, the draft pick at the time. Uh, now they're saying they won't give him up for Bradley Beal. So he's come a long way. Absolutely. Okay. Heat lead this series two games to one as we head into game four. What are your expectations for the Heat the rest of the way? Do you expect this to go more than six games? I picked Heat in seven. So I wasn't surprised that the Celtics got game three. Uh, I think that I, I wouldn't be surprised if Boston gets game four. Uh, the adjustments are going to continue throughout the series. The difference to me at the end of this uh, is I think Miami is a little deeper than Boston. And I do think that will matter in a game seven. And I just trust Jimmy Butler in a game seven uh, to get that thing done. So I, I picked the Heat in seven, but uh, this is not going to be an easy series. Well, it's been a fun playoff so far, and the Heat have been a really good story so far as well. Hey, Ethan, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me. That was dope. Special thanks to Ethan Skolnick for taking the time out of his day to talk a little Celtics and Heat and Eastern Conference battle that is also 2-1, just like this Lakers and Nuggets series is. And, you know, Otto, we talked really heavily about AD on the front end, and it kind of just sat there, simmered in the back of my mind that AD is such a unique player. And, you know, it really galvanized itself tonight in the way that you just felt like he was on both sides of the court at the same time, right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter that there were 94 feet. It was two strides, and he was at the other end of the court. It's mm -hmm. amazing to watch. He's been that way since college. And you have a much better recollection of the way players throughout the history of the NBA have played. And I always thought that, you know, from the second I saw AD at Kentucky, there, there were no comps to him with the way that his body is, with the way that he could shoot, with the way that he could defend. And, you know, even at such a young age, he was such a good defender. And so I'm going to pose this question to you and, and, you know, take it where you want it or take it where you want to take it. But for, for someone who maybe does not have the history of the way that players played, is there anyone that you can think of in the long lineage of NBA players that is even a respectable comp to what we're seeing from AD? Well, that's a good question. Well, so here's the deal. I mean, I've seen just my time covering, you know, covering, uh, covering the sport. You know, a lot of, you know, I see different parts of him 
in different, you know, from different guys. So I, I think of um, offensively, I think that, you know, some of those step backs, I think of like Dirk. Uh, defensively, think of KG. Doesn't necessarily have the same intensity as KG. At least it doesn't, at least doesn't show, it doesn't emote that. I don't um, think anyone has the same intensity. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like I, Isaac could burn. Other level. Yeah, Isaac could burn through the you, you could go off running. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there, was one, there was one time I remember where he, you know, slapped, you know, slapped the hardwood and started barking like a dog. I mean, just like, just crazy. But anyway, I digress. But um, a little bit of TD, a little bit of Tim Duncan. Um, you know, on, on, I mean, TD is like footwork and, and just his, his master of handling the post. And obviously, it's, it's, a, different, it's a different game. Um, you know, but here's the, here's the one big difference about, you know, those four guys. AD is the only one who was a point guard <laughs> when he was in high school. And he grew, what, six, seven inches after high school. Yeah. Uh, uh, none you know. of them had the ball handling skills. Exactly. So, so it's like you've got pieces of these different guys, and then he brings this whole other skill to the table. And so, you know, as he matures, you know, because we're, look, we're remembering, I mean, everyone I just mentioned was, was phenomenal from, from the jump, as, you know, as, and, and talented as AD is as well. But, It'll be interesting to see how he, you know, progresses and develops as you know the further um, he goes in his career. So, you know, I, I, I even though you want to do the comps, I think we're kind of seeing something totally unique and totally different. Much in the way Giannis, you know, it's it's a someone we've seen before, but it kind of also happens. If that makes any sense. I'm gonna throw one out, and I'm interested to see what your take on is this. And I, I thought about this in the back of my mind because we were talking about. LeBron and, you know, his chase for a fourth NBA title. And you start thinking about some of his past teammates, specifically with that Heatles group. And don't worry, I'm not going to say he's a comp to Dwayne Wade. No, no. But Chris Bosh, on the other hand, similar body builds, mm-hmm. right? Bosh could mm-hmm. shoot it. Bosh could defend. Probably didn't handle the rock the way that yeah. AD does because very few big guys do. I mean, your comp really with the honest with the way that he moves with the basketball is probably one of the few that can actually do that. Mm. But, but what would you say to a Chris Bosch comparison? Well, I could, I could see that. I mean, you can see that. I mean, like, I think the difference, I mean, Bosch would, from what I recall, I'm thinking back to those heat days, he, you know, we kind of get to, not that he couldn't, you know, create a shot, but he'd get to the spot, you know, he'd be like set up in the corner, especially when you had, Wade and, and LeBron on the floor, uh, whereas, you know, AD is more, you know, at, at this point, obviously more the alpha and the offense is going through him. So in that way, it's different, but at the same time, and maybe if we go back to to uh, the way Bosch was saying Toronto, where he was the man or had to, you know, had to have 20 and 10 for them to have a chance, you know, the, the Raptors of however long ago that was. <laughs> it's the midnight edition, folks. Don't hold me. <laughs> it, it, it seems like forever ago, right? Yeah, like, right. Like, Toronto teams, and now Toronto has a title. And they're uh, still technically the defending champions, even though they've lost, you know, until they lose that title. Still champions, right? You know, cor- cor- coronavirus, man, until this, until we got four, until we got four victories in the, in the finals. Yeah, it's, it's not done until it's done. Absolutely. We're inching closer there. And Otto, I thought this was a really fun episode. Love staying up late with you, my man. Yeah, exactly. We should, uh, we should do this. Hey, you know, once when the season's over, we should still do this. You just call each other up on a, you know, any night during the week. Hey, what you doing? What you doing? Hey, 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 if you call me up at 1130 at night, mostly I'm up, but I'm kind of just there. I yeah. wouldn't say I'm fully coherent, but I yeah. am there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Less is a cheapskate. Absolutely.
Well, on that note, I think we will call it a night. We, uh, you know, it's way past our bedtimes, I guess, because we're getting a little silly. But so uh, thank you all to uh, tuning in and listening to this edition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. I uh, want to thank our producer, Scott Turkin, the man in the chair, as well as our other producer, Bruce Bernstein, and our editor, Tom Phillip. Absolutely. It's always fun staying up late with you guys to do this show, to bring you the best content that we can each and every week. We know you guys, the listeners, enjoy it, and we want to be as relevant and timely as possible. And if you are in search of some other programming, or if you have not checked out our other programming here at Pure Hoops Media, why don't you? We have a full slate of content coming through you Monday through Friday. Monday is the Mike Weiss Show. Tuesday is Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. Wednesday is where you get your NBA news and nuggets with Otto and myself. Every week we bring you the latest and greatest interviews, and we are also keeping you up to date on the NBA playoffs in their entirety. Thursdays is a great program with Bucket Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure. And Friday we wrap things up with the Pure Hoop Podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. And just a reminder, guys, if you do enjoy our program, Programming. If you listen every week, a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts goes a long way for us and our show, and we appreciate it. And one final note on the serious side, we know that the uh, coronavirus is still with us. The death count is just past 200,000 in the United States alone. Uh, let this serve as a reminder to everybody, continue to wear masks, social distance, wash your hands. Those things really do make a difference. Um, be safe, everybody. Take care. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.